Herzlich Willkommen zum Modellansatz, der mathematische Podcast aus Karlsruhe mit Gudrun Täter und Sebastian Ritterbusch. Eliana Maria Duartes Cheves is sitting in front of me, and I'm really happy that she takes the time today on Friday afternoon to talk to me about her mathematical research. We are in the Max Planck Institute of Mathematical Sciences in Leipzig, where she's at the moment as a guest researcher. Um, Eliana, you are working in algebraic geometry. What is the topic uh, which you are studying under this headline? Okay. Uh, hello, Gudrun, and thank you very much for having me here. Um, yes, I am studying uh, algebraic geometry, and what uh, we usually study in algebraic geometry are systems of polynomial equations in several variables. Uh, when people ask me about this, I usually give the example that many people are familiar with linear algebra and solving systems of linear equations, but if you are allowed to multiply the variables and get polynomial equations, then things become more difficult. So at the moment I am studying uh, problems that involve systems of polynomial equations and Uh, these systems usually come from applied settings, such as uh, computer graphics, uh, statistics, and so on. Mm. What would be an example for such an application? So, um, one example uh, that I think maybe we have all seen it, uh, maybe you have seen the movie Toy Story. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, when you're doing computer graphics, you want to be able to work with the geometric objects that define the graphics. And these ob objects are often parametrized surfaces. And these parametrized surfaces are parametrized, in many cases, by polynomials. So... You have some parameters and a function into three space that is given by polynomials. And it is a theorem in algebraic geometry that the image of the parametrization is defined by an equation. One example would be the circle. You can define the circle or the sphere in space as x squared plus y squared plus c squared is equal to one. Or you could alternatively parametrize it by some rational functions. So the question is, if you have a parametrized surface, what is the equation in three variables that defines the surface? And this is useful in computer graphics because in many cases you want to understand the curve of intersection of surfaces. And you want to be able to manipulate your surfaces to be able to 
produce pictures and you want to do geometric operations with these pictures. You want to cut them, paste them, make them look like bust like here or something like that. Yes. Yeah, of course, you know, if you are in a movie, you would have the freedom to kind of make your figures um, such that they fit better with um, the objects you are able to describe. But of course, um, we would expect also to try to model um, a landscape as real as possible from everyday life on the computer. And then we have to decide how to do this without um, making it so slow in the simulation Correct. that we can't really walk through with our Atavar or our model in the game. Exactly. So imagine you're playing a video game and you want your graphics to be real-time and adapt to what the input of the user is. You want your graphics to work fast and you need to do fast algorithms that you know, compute things and show you the graphics. Um, what type of polynomials would be a typical size? So, I, you know, my background is like um, very often we try to make everything like the small facets. So you would have like very many but linear things, putting them together. Yeah, so what is very common is uh, to use splines, which are piecewise polynomial functions. Mm -hmm. And uh, the ones that are of, you know, most common would be the ones of degree three, because they have the right amount of smoothness to paste them all together. So so they degree three and uh do you say you you would have uh you know the the, perf the polynomials could have like many different uh, terms. You know, the polynomials are big but in many cases uh, degree three polynomials work for most practical purposes. Yeah, because this was had have been my second example, like this year polynomials of exactly. order three. Yeah, and, and putting them um, for for smooth surfaces in a three D domain, and this is a thing which we uh, know how to do. Yeah, um, they were kind of established in order to have really smooth surfaces on cars. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's uh, you. You want so. So the thing that happens here is that you want a designer to, you know, design the car and the designer is not thinking about the smoothness of degree two or anything yeah. like that. They are using a mouse in a computer and they are dragging points and lines. So you want that interface of the computer to, you know, be able to work fast when you're designing a car, for example. Hmm. Yes, and with three-dimensional polynomials, it's still it's a big system if you would have to um, work with it with hands, but it's for the computer, it's very small, even if you have to put a lot of them. And of course, you need uh, some spanning in one dimension and some others spanning the other dimension and then working together. It gets complicated enough, but it's um, comparably small for today's computers. <laughs> The thing with the Vizier polynomials for me was always kind of, you know, if you are coming from interpolation of points, then very often you are asking for the points to be connected by a smooth curve. And with the Vizier, you lose that somehow. Yeah, because you, you give points, but um, the curve does something with the points, which sometimes is not so intuitive. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah. So what would be a question in this context which would be a research question today? So Or maybe a research question which was answered during the last five years or something. During the last five years. So I'll give you an example mm -hmm. of uh, a research question that was very easy for mathematicians, but the computer graphics people didn't know. So they have two surfaces in three space, and they want to parameterize the curve at which the surfaces intersect because of you want to move the curve or whatever graphics reason. And uh, it turns out that not all curves can be parameterized. And one way you can decide whether these can happen or not is by looking at an algebraic geometric invariant of the curve, which is called the genus. So computer graphics people were really trying to parameterize these curves of intersection and they were not finding ways to do it. And then one of them talked to an algebraic geometer and he said, well, <laughs> if you just compute the genus of the curve, you will see that you cannot do it. So in general, the role of algebraic geometry will be to give an insight into the complexity of the problem in the applied setting. So uh, one very important problem today uh, is the implicitization problem, which is exactly finding the defining equation of the image of a parametrization by polynomials. This is useful in computer graphics, but you know it's for any polynomial it's uh, slow to do, and uh, you know when you do it for surfaces, you know there are not too many variables, so on. But there are problems in other field applied fields in which you would ask the same question. You have a, rush, a, a map a parametrization of polynomials, and you want to know what are the equations that define that image. This is a problem that people work on today, and it has been a, a research problem that has, I have been working on since the beginning of my PhD studies. It's called the implicitization problem. Mm -hmm. And what kind of tools can you use in order to get something to know about this so well, the tools that we use are uh, symbolic algebra tools. So what will happen is that uh, in theory, this problem can be solved using uh, what are called Grobner bases. So you will consider... I'm just laughing because in German they are Grobner bases. <laughs> Yeah, two dots on the O. <laughs> yeah, okay, Grobner, I'll, I'll try. Grobner basis. And then, um, so in theory, you could solve this problem with a Grobner basis, but the computer won't finish the calculation in many uh, examples or situations. So what we would like to do is to find alternative ways to get at those equations and uh, techniques for um, symbolic algebra or commutative algebra give you 
theorems that tell you, okay, you know, you can do Grobner basis, but there are other theorems in which that tell you uh, you can use uh, determinantal polynomials, or you can use matrices in such way to produce those equations. And uh, that's what we work on to produce those mm -hmm. equations. So as far as I understand, you have Gribner bases which are able to prescribe uh, certain objects in a, in a way that you can express it then either way. So in order you, so you can use them in order to translate from the parameterized to the polynomial. But it's not so easy to find the Gribner bases all the time with a clearly defined algorithm. Exactly. This is perfect. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly what you are doing. You know, the, from the parametrization, you want to get into the equations of the image. You do that by applying an algorithm that uses Grobner bases. But this algorithm might not finish if your polynomials are too big or you have too many variables. Yeah, it's also you know if you the idea which is in my head um, in order to have this compared to something which people know. For example, if you would have one over three and you want to express it as point three, 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 of course, it never really finishes, even if you have a well-defined algorithm how to do it. And then you have to decide at first what does it mean and what do you do about it. And of course, with the polynomial, it's, it's even more complicated. But in order to have an idea that you can have something which is clearly defined but doesn't end, it can really happen. Hmm. Of course, um, what I'm kind of hearing in between is that uh, what you're doing is always very much related also to working with computers. And so a few of these problems in themselves are probably too big for you to work on only with paper and pencil, so you will have to use the computer. Is this true, or is this just yes. a gut feeling? No, that is completely true. So the way you might start approaching this problem is you will start by writing some polynomials in a paper and see, okay, I understand this very small example. And then uh, you want to formulate a theorem, you want to understand what the behavior is for bigger systems. And at some point, you can just not do it in the computer. Sorry, in in the paper, you go and open a symbolic algebra package or software. You input your polynomials, and most of these uh, software have a Grubner basis um, command that will do things for you. Uh, but yes, you. I mean. When you really want to test some examples and see what's going on, you have to use a the computer. There's, there's, I don't see another way to compute with these big polynomials. And um, the outcome of this, these computations on the computer, are these formulas in the end or are these pictures? So the, in the computer algebra package, you will... This will give to you a very long polynomial with many terms, and then you will ask yourself, okay, then what do I do with this polynomial? What does it tell me? Mm. And what you can do is you can 
look at what the degree of the polynomial is, you can see how many terms does it have, you can see what are the monomials appearing in this polynomial, so you're trying to understand your input, and for this part, the computer also plays a big role, because mm. how are you going to parse a polynomial that has 500 terms? And then, for me, I like to visualize things, so... I would like to, for example, ask Mathematica to draw the surface with the parametrization, but then also draw the surface with the implicit equation. You can do this in Mathematica. And it just gives me satisfaction that they are like the same, they are overlapping. So the visualization part is not part of like the research that I do but it does give satisfaction if you try to you know illustrate a point and see some images mm. probably also if you show other persons what you are doing <clears throat> it's easier just to show the picture and saying you know I have this and I want to understand what are the polynomials which are prescribing this as an equation and I did it and look it's really the same <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And also with the example of the intersecting two surfaces, you have two surfaces in Mathematica, they intersect and you can highlight the curve of intersection. So yes, it's better to explain people that way. Mm. Yes, also this is one of the examples where it's kind of easy to prescribe to everybody that, you know, if you have um, bodies intersecting and then you have this curve um, and they can imagine this immediately in their inner mind, But to give the formula for this curve, <laughs> it's really a nightmare to do that, even for, even for simple applications, like um, <clears throat> if you have like balls and cylinders and square objects, things like that. And uh, just if the angle is a little bit funny, um, you're really like, oh, this should be easy, but my mind is not made for that. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, The, my question, of course, is always, um, of course, if I hear you talking about your topic, I see two things. First, I, I immediately find it interesting myself, but then I also see that you're enthusiastic about it. Uh, and what was your way into mathematics and to this topic that you could find this type of work for you as your, your thing, so to say? So I... I think I've been very lucky because I've had very good, uh, enthusiastic math teachers and mentors. So when I was an undergrad in Colombia, I took this class, uh, Combinatorial Commutative Algebra, taught by uh, Federico Ardila. And he's just so enthusiastic about polynomials. And I was like, polynomials are so much fun. <laughs> and they're really not too hard to understand. In, At least the like, first steps are yes, quite clear. Uh, yes, exactly. And you've seen them in school, like y equals x squared. Mm. And, you know, people can understand that. And then uh, I also learned that, you know, these are... Uh, Several problems in applications are described by systems of polynomial equations. So what does algebraic geometry have to say about these applied settings? And I find that very interesting, like puzzling, uh, 
I, it brings a lot of curiosity. Uh, and then I was very lucky to find uh, an advisor who was working on computational algebraic geometry. And he said, okay, Eliana, we're going to work on CCGs. And then many people ask, what, what is, is that? CCG? Or <laughs> Even if you read this It's word. <laughs> the first time I've ever heard this word. Mm. And then I learned what the CCG was. And then apparently this is how you could, in some instances, solve the implicitization problem using CCGs. So I thought this was amazing. And since then, I'm um, doing a lot of computational algebra, working on implicitization problems, and so on. Mm -hmm. When you were at school, did you see yourself becoming a mathematician, or what was your decision driven by? Um, so when I was at school, I really liked mathematics. Uh, uh, that doesn't mean I was very good at it. I just liked it, and I... Sometimes I fail my math test because, I don't know, I get distracted in the test or whatever reason. But I knew I liked it, and I didn't see myself as going into engineering or economics or anything like that. And I said, okay, I'll study mathematics. And my brother had already started studying physics, and my parents were like, but what are you going to do with the physics degree? So they were, okay, you can do what you feel like, and then when I said I want to study mathematics, they were like, yeah, whatever you want. <laughs> they don't pay attention to the little ones, so I just went with it, and I found the environment very nice. A lot of people were really uh, smart around me, and They taught me a lot of things, and I learned from them. So I think the environment just, was just very friendly, and I felt good. So I kept doing it. Mm -hmm. How long is a bachelor's course in Colombia? Uh, four years. Four years. So it's more like in the States. Um, because we, yeah, and <clears throat> since when we introduced the bachelor master system, we kind of tried to make the five years which we had for the diploma into two parts and then the bachelor is three and the master's is usually two. Same thing happened in Colombia mm -hmm. and at the moment I started studying, math was already for just four years. The other ones were five years and were uh, yeah, contracted was... to four. Mm -hmm. And now actually uh, I never saw myself as, oh, I'm going to be doing research you know, next and going to be a professor and so on. But at each stage, I felt curiosity. It's like, okay, where, what's next? Uh, is this all? Okay, no, what's next? So yeah. here we are. <laughs> no, it's kind of a fascinating thing uh, to see so many people from other countries coming to Germany just uh, because they get opportunities to do some mathematics with German persons or on, on positions which are open here. And then it's always kind to see what's kind of the the culture somewhere else because you always bring a bit of your culture here yes uh, i mean i've had uh, you know there's a math culture in the u.s and now here you know people are different and there's a different math culture and it's nice to you know get used to it see how it works mm. and it's very nice yeah so you did your masters in the states after your bachelor in uh, Bogota? 
um, how did this come about? So I went to a conference in Colombia and several of the professors that have positions outside Colombia came to this conference. So Colombians that mm. are working outside Colombia came and you know I met several of them and at that point I was close to graduation and one of them told me like why don't you consider applying to this university we have a master's program and uh, we love students from Colombia so why don't you apply and that's what I did and then my application was successful and I started doing my masters yeah and this was um with the topic in mind which you started to research on in your bachelor's thesis to go further on in this field of algebraic um yes geometry yes i've um yes since the like last year of my bachelor's i was like okay these algebra polynomials This is what I would like to do. So, so during my master's, I learned a little bit about elliptic curves, which is a very nice class of object in algebraic geometry. And then uh, I switched to do my PhD uh, at University of Illinois um, because it has a more applied uh, focus. What does applied then mean in this? Um, community. What does applying mean in this community? No, no, this, you know, it's with a laugh in, in my head because um, we are very often we are considering all the algebraic people, they are not applied at all. Yes, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> uh, but, but no, there are many applications to algebra. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, if we uh, want to use uh, coding for our messages, things like that, everything is only done with the help of algebra, for example. And I think most people nowadays at least have heard about this, and even if they don't use it themselves um, consciously, it's there, the application of algebra. Okay. <laughs> But if you say you wanted to be more applied, uh, what kind of... Um, Topics are were treated in Illinois, which you were curious to see for yourself. Um, so, so the there's this study of commutative algebra, mm -hmm. which uh, you want to understand properties of rings and ideals and so on. And uh, this is all very nice, but then the question would be. Uh, where are these ideals and rings coming from? That's the applied part. So in Illinois, let's say the ideals and rings come from computer graphics, for example. Mm. And um, my advisor, Hal Schenk, also works uh, with... Um, um, studying ways to describe uh, geometry in computer graphics as well, so finding barycentric coordinates for triangulations of surfaces. Mm. So I think the difference is, where do your rings come from? <laughs> They come from an applied setting. 
Yeah, yeah, this kind of leads back to the starting point of our conversations that we are speaking about problems coming from computer graphics, and this is really applied. I would say, I would even agree as an applied as a an applied mathematician <laughs> that this is really applied, <laughs> even if it's kind of a different setting of things uh, than we are we are doing. But in the end, you know, these types of problems they even concern us because, firstly. If we make our discretization in geometries, we also have to somehow come up with how we bring our geometry into the computer. And the second thing, if we have our results, we have to visualize them in a way which makes sense, even to people who are not really aware what we are doing computationally, but to understand what the results mean. And then we are using what you do for us. <laughs> exactly, yes. Well, I also think that, uh, you know, um, There are certain up things that come from applications that can even ask interesting questions for commutative algebraists themselves. Like, um, I mean, the, the example that I give of finding the parametrization of a curve, uh, you know, algebraic geometries had geometers had solved that problem, but what if they didn't? Yeah. Uh, that would be a very interesting question. So, so there, I think there's like a interaction between the two. Yes, um, I was kind of looking at your research also beforehand a little bit in order to get an idea. Uh, firstly, uh, in which kind of direction you go from these geometrical problems, and also uh, what could be uh, part of our conversation. And there was this notion of algebraic statistics coming up. And this is kind of mind-bending for me. <laughs> <laughs> what you can do with statistical methods in algebra or what you can do with algebra in statistical contexts, I don't know. Okay, uh, good. So algebraic statistics is very recent. So let's say in the last uh, 20 to 30 years, uh, this term was coined. Uh, algebraic statistics, and the main um, idea in algebraic statistics is that in statistics there are several problems that you would like to solve. These might involve uh, some discrete problems, but as well maybe some systems of polynomial equations can show up in statistics. And algebraic statistics means that you would like to solve those problems using algebra or symbolic computation. This usually involves polynomials, but also some combinatorics as well. And recently, some numerical algebraic geometry tools. So... This is the main idea, what is algebraic statistics. And now, to put it in a concrete example. Um, so what is a statistical model? A statistical model for us in algebraic statistics and for, you know, statisticians have many kinds of models. So we, we look at one in particular. And several models are given again, by a parametrization of polynomials. So you're, you have a parameter space. This is the space of parameters. And then this space of parameters to each 
value of the parameter, you associate a distribution. Okay. So, so you have a family of distributions which are parameterized with a parameter. Hmm. Exactly. <coughs> Perfect. <laughs> And, for example, uh, in many cases, this parameterization is given by polynomials themselves. And then one question that you might ask is, what are properties of this family of statistical models? And again, the question of doing the implicitization problem for this is an implicit, so you can describe the family by the parameterization, right? But you can also implicitly describe the family if you have the implicit equations of the parameterization of the model. So one of the things we do in algebraic statistics is find those equations that define the model. And, you know, statisticians have, you know, found these equations as well. You know, maybe they know that you can describe a model into different ways, but we might come into the picture and saying, uh, you know, some of these equations are redundant or your, question, your equations have this or that property. And your parametrization is most of the time one-to-one, -one, but there is a point at which you have two pre-images. So we, we can contribute in that way to the statisticians. Mm. Oh, this sounds really interesting. Yeah, this is kind of the thing when you uh, want to span the space Of course, for with the space you imagine, the three-dimensional space, it's clear you need kind of three directions and you have yes. to choose them in a way that not the third one is a combination of the other two. And we call this, yeah, they are linearly independent and this means that the third one really brings a new direction, which really brings an extra dimension of space. And of course, this can uh, get, take over to like hundred-dimensional spaces and things, and it's not so easy to find out if the new one really brings something new. That's a great example, because, because what you might be inclined to think is that, okay, the image is defined by three equations. And say, maybe you might think that each equation cuts dimension by one. Yeah. But it doesn't happen like that all the time. Yeah, you so, even notice when you know the systems of linear equations that you have to be careful if all the information, yes. uh, there's really new information in each so of the equations. So it's the same for mm. when your equation are polynomial equations. Yeah. You need to be careful on how to cut the yeah. dimension. And so I understood your explanation that sometimes something is redundant because it just gives the same information which was there either in one of the other models or in a combination of them. And then it's it's better to have the model really with the kind of information which is necessary and not with too much. Exactly. Or to have you had might have the idea <clears throat> that your um, system is like um, five dimensional, and then you see, oh no, exactly, <laughs> there yes. are just four independent things there. Yes, that that's very common in algebraic geometry. So you say you have four equations. Uh, in a big dimensional space, you have four equations. You might think that these four equations cut dimension by four, but it could be actually that since there are some polynomial dependencies among these um, 
equations, it actually only cuts it down by three. However, you might still need the four equations to describe the model. That doesn't mean you can mm, put, it one away. Yeah, put one away. No, sometimes you need the four equations, but the dimension still didn't go down by four, it went down by three. So these kinds of subtleties and understanding, say, the dimension of the model, the equations of the model, this is something that algebraic statistics studies. Mm -hmm. Is there a change? Um, I'm asking in the sense that um, this in algebraic geometry, which we were talking, talking about before, you had really functions um, in the usual sense, so like you can draw a line or it can draw a surface um, as a graph of this function, and then you consider combinations of them in an algebraic sense, and you have this um, polynomial relations you want to understand better. Now you go over, you have distributions which are not really functions. You know, if they are really well behaving, they can be functions, but in general they are not. Is there a change in your tools which you can so use? There are, so, so there are two types of statistical models which uh, we can you know, describe in these terms. I mean, maybe there are more, but let me just give you some yeah, examples. So one is when you have a model that is made up of uh, discrete random variables. So say you have a vector of random variables. This has a joint probability distribution and a point in the image of the polynomial map is a possible distribution for a choice of parameters. In this case, it's very clear that you, you know, for the discrete case, uh, you can just look at the parametrization and the equations defining the image. Now, you might say, well, we have some continuous distributions, such as the normal distributions. And the good news is that the way that, uh, say, the, a family of normal distributions works, is that you have a vector of mean, like the mean vector of, yeah. say, a multivariate uh, normal vector, and you have a matrix of covariance. Okay. And these determine another type of matrix. Okay. Uh, so, so these two parameters, these are the two parameters, mean and covariance matrix, and you do a polynomial map into a space that describes the density functions that can show up. And now, after doing some work and understanding how this works, the family of normal distributions can be characterized as matrices that have certain rank conditions. So you can think of a matrix with generic entries, so think of each entry of the matrix as one variable, and the rank conditions means that some subdeterminants of the matrix need to vanish. Yeah. And these are the equations that define the family. So there's different ways in which really you have polynomial maps, and the defining equations tell you what are the possible distributions in your family. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> and, you know, not that I know, would know how to do that, but the, the general idea, I get that. Um, 
Now you have changed at least between Colombia and the South of America to the States and there also in two distinguished and so different places like very much in the north and somewhere else. And now you're in Germany. Um, what were the big differences for you uh, in working in mathematics in these different places? So I have the feeling uh, that mathematics is one of the good things about mathematics is that it's pretty much the same everywhere so you don't need uh, you know too many resources to make it work somewhere mm -hmm. uh, so for me uh, I feel that um, you know coming here to Max Planck is very nice because you get to talk a with a lot of people that are doing all kinds of applied mathematics. So when I was in Illinois, I was talking to my advisor. Uh, he is interested in applied mathematics, but maybe the conferences that I was going to or the people I was surrounded to knew about these applications, but they were doing more pure mathematics. Here at Max Planck and this environment, everybody's doing applied algebra, geometry, all of that. So, so that's great. It's just, yeah, it's just <laughs> so, great. I mean, and one of the differences is now that this environment is more applied and I learn more about all sorts of applications. Mm. Of course, one of the differences um, throughout the world is how many women are doing mathematics. Is there a difference between the places you've been? Um... So when I studied, do, started uh, studying mathematics in Bogota, uh, let's say we were three out of ten, um, and then was, that was the same thing in my masters. And then, where I did my PhD in University of Illinois, the the department is really keen on. Uh, having a 50-50 ratio. So when I started doing my PhD there, it's like all of a sudden, yay, this is like, you know, you see more women and they are doing PhDs in math, just like you are, like I was. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so that was a change. Um, however, in Colombia, in uh, the U.S. and in Germany, I've seen that the number of women that are faculty is the same. Mm. It's like at most 20%. So like the professors? Yes, really have the, the professors or, you know, I would say that at many points uh, as students or as young researchers, we're looking for role models. Yeah. And there are just very few. So in that sense, uh, all places are the same. <laughs> yeah. And um, did you see um, kind of programs or ideas or workshops in the different places which try to change that situation for women? Mm, I feel, uh, so what I've seen is that, um, for example, in the US, which I'm most familiar with, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not so so what I see is that 
there are several events and support uh, groups or people that you can meet in different conferences and knowing that there is a network of women, you know, maybe having the same uh, concerns as you do, uh, that's valuable. So, so I'm not sure if there's, you know, if they are being successful or keeping women in math, but at least I get the feeling from my studies in the U.S. that, you know, there's there there's somebody there cheering for you and wanting you to do well, and I think that's very important because mathematics could be a lonely subject sometimes. You know, if if you're in a nice department with tons of people that's great but you know sometimes you're just doing math alone and you get the feeling that oh I'm all by myself but if there's a support network then it's it's nice yeah that's also sometimes you just need someone um, to talk about things you experience whatever you know uh, and to get a picture if this is um, how they have a look at it and just to see Maybe it's just nothing, or maybe it's something you should take serious and really stay with something, um, making some criticism or making some proposals to change a few things, things like that. And then it's always better if you have someone you can talk about that firstly before just doing steps, really. Yes, so when you have an experience and then you think, oh, I'm, an, I'm the only one, mm. and most likely nobody has had this experience But then you go to a conference and you talk to another woman and you somehow find out that that also happened to her. Or, you know, you discuss your experiences and then it's really valuable. Yes. Um, what is the situation in Colombia? In, um, um, they, are they encouraged to become scientists and mathematicians? Because I'm just asking because here in Germany I have the feeling that things get worse over my, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I had my children 30 years ago and they had like the same toys approximately, you know, with a little bit, you know, like with the puppets and the toy um, cars, playthings. But this was not so distinguished. And nowadays if you go to a toy shop, there is really a boy section and a girl section. It's so terrible. I've and it seen, goes over to everything. I've seen it here. Yeah, yeah. I see that the boys have the tools to like fix the house and all these Bosch yeah. uh, tools, and then the girls have like uh, little uh, cooking babies. devices yeah, or like cooking. That. Or, yeah. Yes, That's and right. I think this all <laughs> contributes to the fact that they don't see themselves as scientists when they are really small enough to have dreams, and then later on. It's maybe even too late uh, to tell them, but you can study mathematics. That's really interesting. Yeah, so I don't know what the situation is in Colombia right now. I'm not uh, familiar with that because I've been away for so long. Uh, but my experience when I was there, and um, I went to a school uh, in which we were all girls. So there's... Like we all have to do the math. Yeah, yeah. There's no such thing, and and I remember, you know, I I've taught a class which is called theory of arithmetic for elementary school teachers, and they work in groups. And 
most of these students are women because they're going to become elementary school teachers, but there were like three men. And in one group, there were four girls and one man. And then the they were working on the problems and I asked them, okay, have you worked on the problems? Well, how's it going? And all of the girls said like, he will solve it. And I was like, first of all, you all are smarter than he is. <laughs> like, I, I've talked to you. You can do this way better. And he's not going to solve it for you. <laughs> and, like, you either do it together or you can do it yourself. You don't wait for somebody else to do it for you. So, I don't know. There's a lot of encouragement. Uh, uh, necessary. Yes, mm. exactly. Yeah, and especially with elementary teachers, that's also one important point. At least, you know, to have some influence on the smaller children and to make them happy about doing mathematics and then starting from there. Yes, uh, I've, I've heard that, you know, some of the people that really don't like mathematics is because they've had a horrible math teacher that would <laughs> do, don't understand the math yeah, yeah. themselves and then push it on students or something like that. Mm. So what are your plans and wishes for the next time for your being here in Germany or your mathematics? So uh, I am a person that likes to think about the present. Okay. <laughs> and then if I think about the future too much, then I stress myself a little bit. So right now, you know, my goal is to... Um, you know, do things that I enjoy in mathematics. So uh, right now, uh, like algebraic statistics, for example, is a topic that I didn't know when I was a PhD student. Mm -hmm. This is something new. So um, learning statistics, learning more algebra, you know, how can we contribute? And it's really interesting to learn about the applied problems. Uh, recently, I've also been... Uh, Uh, in the research group that I'm at, uh, there's the opportunity to also mentor some students, or you know, there are PhD students there, and then you realize that when you talk to them and you tell them about your experiences, especially with women, I think it does make a difference. So, sorry, I'd like to keep doing that, and then... Uh, eventually teach a class in German and be able to speak German. But uh, we'll see what happens afterwards. So I'll be here for a few more years. So I'll st I still can relax a little bit and, and see go with the flow. Happening. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much for taking the time. It was such a nice and interesting conversation to me. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.